Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, my dear listener, for joining us again right here on The Coaching Show, available at Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available in all the RSS feeds. Uh, my name is Christopher McAuliffe. As Dick Warren said, I'm a Master Certified Coach, and you have to say it that way. I'm here with my in-studio co-host, Alex Terranova. Good morning. Good morning. You sound very... Um, how are you today? I'm so good. I said to you when I walked in, I'm on like an accomplishment hangover. These are new to me. I'm having a lot of them. <laughs> because you drank a lot of accomplishment gin? What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm on a winning streak. Oh, um, man. You're just going to make us feel bad now. Go ahead. No, no. Just like, hey, you started this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, gave, uh, I gave my first talk last night. Uh, not my first talk ever, but my first talk based on my book. And it was a talk that I wrote specifically about the book for a group. And, um, you know, when I asked after, is this, does this thing have bones? Could I use it again? Or, and no one threw a book at me, I should say. So that was a good sign. Uh, they, they were like, yeah, this is a talk that you can continue to use. You can retune it, refine it, make it better and, you know, and, and keep running with it. Nice. So they got value. Did you get, what, what was your goal? So Not my goal, faint. my goal was to, for them, I mean, I think I, I have speaking goals. So my goal was to continue to practice and become a better and better speaker. And that's where I'm, when I looked at the video, I'm like, Ooh, that's where the area for me to really work on measured is. by, did you get some feedback? Did you, did you hand out? Uh, I, I did quite, not. You should always um, hand out. This is, a, this is for you guys. You should always hand out those things, right? The rating sheets or something. Now here's what happened to me. I handed out rating sheets. The first time I gave a talk, I got eights. I thought I should have gotten 10. So I stopped giving talks. <laughs> this is not what to do. So, so what do you see? We can't even talk. Well, I, have a, I, have a, it. I have a handful of people that, that came that I know from, from uh, different business things that, uh -huh. I, that they'll give me honest feedback. I can okay. go to them and I'll get some from them. And are you going to? Yes. And I have the video so I can watch and give myself some feedback. I know I'm very hard on myself, so it's mm -hmm. going to be more critical. Right. But the big thing I got that I think I hit home was this idea that as the head of a company, as a CEO, as the founder, if you're not authentic, then you create an inauthentic company and you create inauthentic leaders and it's a trickle down. So you're an inauthentic, inauthenticity leads to more inauthenticity, which leads to more inauthenticity. And all of a sudden you have a company full of people who are all being authentic, inauthentic. And when that, are you just talking about me or is this anyone? <laughs> I think it's almost all companies. And what it looks like is if you're not willing to speak up and say what you think, because you might get, you know, not heard or talked down to, or somebody has, you know, yells or you, when people come in, they say they're fine or they're good. All these things are people not shining, not being their best selves, which are all areas of inauthenticity. And I think the group that I spoke to are very like their HR directors, managers, culture creators, very logic based, head based. And to hear it from a different perspective, mm -hmm. from an ontological who you're being perspective was a, came in from a totally different door. And I think they got a ton of value from that. Nice. Glad to hear it. The book is Fictional Authenticity. Alex Terranova is the author. He's also a coach, a coach in your fourth or fifth year. Where are you? Um, this is the end of my fourth full year. Great. So. And I'm in like 24, Yeah, you stopped counting. I'm still in the like know. 36 months. Right. I'm like yeah. a baby. 
<laughs> you are like a baby. You can find out more about Alex by going to the Instagram. It's very popular, I understand. Uh, inspirational at Inspirational Alex, and then uh, you can also find him on thedreammason.com. Thedreammason.com. And I'm privileged to have you here. Uh, people tell me that it's a better show when you're here. I don't know what they're talking about, but <laughs> um, my name is Christopher McAuliffe. We already established that today. Uh, here's you made fun of me when I came in because of what I'm wearing, but I'm wearing my I'm wearing my cashmere cardigan and my uh my love t-shirt well you're just always like you always dress you know when i get dressed uh-huh. i'm like man christopher would not like this mm-hmm. you just you know you're always That's in a true. suit uh-huh. you dress very nice like it's it's part of who you are and so when you come in and you're not in that i'm like whoa did yeah. i infect you what yeah. happened <laughs> have we fallen on hard times suddenly no the uh the issue is today is world kindness day because people wanted to recognize the contributions of kindness generally but also uh fred rogers mr rogers were you did you grow up with mr rogers or no I that did. was after yeah no oh, that yeah. was okay. yeah so uh so you're supposed to wear a cardigan which you're not but i am own one ish and then uh, this love T-shirt, right? Although it's also the first day of the public hearings for impeachment, so I was very tempted to wear my ITMFA T-shirt, <laughs> but I went with love instead because ultimately it'll all it'll all work out. I think that who was it? Was it um, oh somebody? I'm so ashamed that I don't remember who said that. Um, Justice is love in action. We're gonna have to look that up, and I'll tell you who it was. It was somebody really famous that everybody knows. All right. Uh, anything else we should talk about? It's season to get your applications in to speak. If you want to speak like uh, like Alex did last night, uh, get your applications in because places like the ICF Midwest Regional Conference and the EMCC um, Annual Conference have uh, opened and may maybe even have closed some of their uh, opportunities for you to apply to speak. If you are a coach and want to be known, do that. Also, get yourself a podcast. Also, get yourself uh, articles. Did I tell you about the article I'm writing? Gary Schleifer. You did not, but people should know that if they want to have a podcast, that Accomplishment Media might be a place to... And makes it super easy. Yeah, right? so if you're interested in having a podcast, you should reach out to... You can reach out to me, actually, Alex at Accomplishment Media, or just go to accomplishmentmedia.com. You're everywhere. The, um, the thing I wanted to say is that uh, I'm talking to Gary Schleifer about writing an article called... Uh, I can't remember your name. How can I remember your pronouns? Because I'm I'm coming out, me, I'm coming out in favor of, I think we should do away with masculine and feminine and just go for the singular pronoun they. What are your thoughts? I mean, I if it makes people happy, I'm all about it. I think it's just a, it's like a retraining. I mean, I think it's not when people make it like a big deal. I'm just like, it's just a retraining. So we just have to break the habits that we have and create new ones. Well, we, like... we clearly need to bring in smarter people than us. So how about our first guest? <laughs> our, uh, I believe uh, Sukari is an extraordinarily seasoned organizational development consultant as well as a PCC-level ICF certified coach. She specializes in cultural competency, leadership, and executive development, as well as organization transitions and team building. She has a master's degree in organization development from American University, and we are delighted to welcome her to the microphones here at the coaching show. Hello, Sukari. Hello. How are you today, Christopher? We're doing all right, thanks. How about you? I'm really well. It's a beautiful day here. Uh, just look, look around fall, fall colors where I am. And right. Where, look around earlier. outside. Where, where are you? What city? Is I'm in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of uh, the District of Columbia. Is it uh, better now that it's blue? <laughs> Um, (laughs) well, uh, I, I would say that it, it's, it's bound to be a little different. So Virginia is for lovers. That is our state's tagline. (laughs) So I've always felt the love here in Virginia. So we'll, we'll see what 
what differences show up uh, the first of the year. Now, you're committed to coach competence as well as coaching with identity in mind. And yep. so I'm, I'm sort of leading in with my somewhat potentially provocative notion of uh, pronouns. Where do you where where are we as a society with this whole pronoun thing? Is it is it too early to start talking about pronouns? Is it too early to change the thing? What are your thoughts? Well, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And what I'm learning about the whole pronoun discussion is that when it comes to identity, people want to feel free to choose how they identify. And for so long, we've been a society kind of bounded with these binaries, uh, male, female, um, black, white, or white, people of color, uh, these different ways that we uh, talk to each other and, and see each other. And what I believe, uh, probably starting with the millennial generational cohort, what they've been telling us and what they've been helping us to understand, when I say us, I mean our society as a whole, uh, is that we, we all want to identify in a way that speaks to the authenticity, right? So you really did start by talking about authenticity, uh, that speaks to the authenticity of who I am. And if I'm going to be in relationship with you, uh, I believe it is important that I accept who you say you are and not feel that I have to put you in a box that makes me feel comfortable around gender, gender identity, gender expression, uh, your racial identity. I cannot tell you the number of people who say, well, you know, biracial uh, doesn't really work for me. Um, multiracial feels more authentic to me. I talk to people in the Black community who say, no, no, don't call me Black, call me African American. I talk to other people who say, I identify as a member of the Black diaspora. And so I believe what we're going to have to start to do in order to stay connected and stay engaged with the people that we want to be engaged with is to understand that we're going to have to ask people, how do you choose to identify? Uh, the LGBTQIA2 plus community um, has kind of led the way for us uh, in that LGBT was just a little bit too narrowly focused for a number of people who identified as part of that community. And while a number of others say, well, all these acronyms, all these letters, I, I right. don't even know where I stand with this. Again, I think it's a, a matter of relearning that uh, we, we have to meet people where they are. And when people tell us how they want to be identified, I think it's important that we hear that, we accept it, and we respect it. Okay. I, I think the thing, like, I love the idea of, like, giving everybody, um, having, letting them have their, what works for them. And I'm sitting here going, how do we operate like this yeah. in a world where every single person 
could say like what they, how they want to be referred to, how they want to be identified. And I guess like we could, right? We could have like name badges. We could all wear shirts like Christopher sure does love on it. It could be like, how do you want to be identified? Right. We are actually have a have a, a concern in our company about whether there's a big debate going about whether we should give people buttons for their pronouns, right? So that you know without asking or so without yeah. having to remember. Like, as yeah. as somebody who I'm ha- like I'm happy to refer to anyone however they want to be referred to, right? It doesn't it's no extra effort for me, but is that does it become like every time I meet someone, that's the first thing I have to say is before like instead of hello, it's like how would you like to how would you like to set up this conversation or something on that end? And on the same note, uh Sukari, I'm wondering, is is it necessary now? Is it a is it a as coaches working in the world, is it necessary for us to, to identify and to sort of help people out by letting them know our um, gender identity, preferred pronouns, how we want to or don't want to be referred to? Well, for me, I believe that because the coaching relationship is, has to begin uh, with trust and intimacy, I don't see how we cannot say fully uh, this is who I am as a coach and I'm really interested in knowing how you want to be identified as we move through this partnership I uh, to the the first question which was much broader is that you know every time you bump into somebody at a at the supermarket or you know in, in some other social setting is it important for you know us to exchange our cultural uh, biographies or our cultural identities. Uh, on the large scale, I, I think the jury's still out on that. I think we're still evolving as a society there. But in a coaching relationship where the intent is that we build a relationship of trust, and again, back to this word authenticity, then I think it is important for me as a coach to uh, open the space by saying, you know, who I am and how I like to be identified. I often, uh, and in an, on my email signature now, I, I have my pronouns there because I think it sends a signal uh, to people who are, are receiving the email that I understand that we are no longer in a binary space around gender identity. Great. So it, so it signifies acceptance and understanding. Correct. I think the one other place that I'm thinking as I hear this is the more that we each have create individual things, do are we doing more to like actually separate ourselves as human beings than bring ourselves together? Like, yes, we are all unique. And yes, we are all exactly the same. Like we're all skin, bones, muscles. And yes, we have different colors and we come from different places and we speak different languages. But ultimately, every time we, what is it, uh, taxonomy? all the different ways that we that you like categorize things every time we create new ways to organize ourselves doesn't doesn't it almost occur like we're also splitting ourselves up even more well we're not creating new ways to organize ourselves our societies organize us into social identity groups that's not something i do for myself that's something the society does for all of us when you walk into a room and nobody knows who you are All they know is what they think they know about people who belong to the groups they think you belong to. The same is true for all of us. When I walk into a room and nobody knows anything about my background, they see 
my dark skin. And immediately their, their, their mind starts to tell them a story mm-hmm. about what they know about people who look like me. They will look and they say, oh, got on earrings and high heel shoes, appears to be a woman. They will start to tell themselves a story mm-hmm. about what that means. The minute I open my mouth, if they pick up any kind of accent, there will be a way they tell themselves uh, a story about who I am. When I leave the shores of the United States and I travel to other countries, there seems to be a way I walk or a way I dress that says to people, oh, that's a U.S. national. That, that person holds a U.S. passport. This isn't something I choose. This is something society does. And if we tell ourselves that, oh, oh, well, if we differentiate in these ways, we are not able to come together um, as social groups. Um, I, I just don't believe that's a true assessment. In order for somebody to bring themselves to any kind of conversation with true authenticity, I do believe that they have to be able to trust that they will be seen and accepted in their fullness. So as an example, when someone says to me, oh, Sukari, um, you know, I, I, I just don't see color. When I think of you, I just don't, I don't, I don't see your color. What I hear is that you do not see me because my color informs every experience I have had since the day I was born. There's no getting away from that for me. It's it a, informs it's, who I am. It's such an important point. Um, one of the things that I've been doing lately, I, I've got a million questions for you. So um, if, if it feels like I'm rushing you along, it's because i got a million things I want to get to. The first is um, books. What are you recommending people, especially, you know, you're talking to a couple of, uh, you may or may not uh, be able to tell that we're a couple of white dudes, right? I'm a, I'm the mortal enemy of most millennials because I'm a white guy of a certain age. And um, Alex is, uh, are you, you're, you're just I'm, hanging on I'm to a, your millennial I'm a credential. Millennial, but that doesn't, yeah, I'm still a white guy. So what books should we be reading? What are the books that you're recommending to people, people in business, people that are your friends these days? So um, I would recommend to people who are saying, I want to learn more about this. Right. Um, I would start with Blind Spot by Banaji and Greenwald, uh, which is a book about implicit bias. Mm-hmm. And the reason I would start with that one is it's because it's a really easy and accessible read. It's not um, terribly academic in how it talks about uh, implicit bias. And it makes really clear that we all hold bias. Uh, and it's not a good or a bad thing. It is a thing. And what we need to do is to be aware of, of, of what our biases are so that we can mitigate them when we need to. So that would be the first book. Uh, there's another book uh, called Journeys uh, of Race, Class, and Culture, that uh, the authors there are Huntley, Moore, and Pierce. Um, and, and that book gets a little bit more deeply um, into these kinds of differences, right? So how do I differentiate in order to join? 
because that's a concept that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with, that in order for me to be able to feel like I can belong or I can join a group, uh, I have to be able to know that I can be my differentiated self in the group. That is to the point of authenticity. And we know that authenticity uh, plays a huge role in any building any kind of inclusive uh, culture or climate. And then the third book that I've become a big fan of, uh, particularly with uh, folks that I'm doing this work with, who just find a hard time being in these conversations, they call them really difficult uh, conversations, uh, particularly around race, um, is um, oh, Robin DiAngelo's uh, White Fragility. Um, and I think she does just a really, really uh, wonderful job of helping uh, white people understand that there is a difference between being unsafe and uncomfortable. And when I have to be in a conversation with somebody around difference, racial difference, difference around sexual orientation, religious difference, age difference, um, depending on my comfort level, those can be difficult conversations. And because a conversation is difficult or because I am uncomfortable in the conversation, it doesn't mean I am unsafe. And a lot of times people will equate these terms, safety and discomfort, uh, because they don't wanna be uncomfortable. But we know that it's when we're in our uncomfortable place that we're probably learning something um, that we didn't know before. So those three, and then the, the last one, I would add uh, is uh, Microaggressions in Everyday Life by Daryl Dwing Sue, which I think uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot more uh, academic in, in what it presents to the reader. But I think Sue does a really good job of helping people understand um, how some of our behaviors, some of the things we say and do uh, impact people in ways that are not aligned with our intent. Great. Um, let's go back to the larger picture. So one of the things that we can say, and it was, I, I think, to my eye at least, it was painfully obvious in just coming back from Prague for the ICF Converge every two-year global conference, um, this year held in Prague in the Czech Republic, painfully uh, monochromatic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and this and celebrating, you know, that there were, I don't know, 72 countries represented or something, right, of the 144 where there are members of the ICF. It seems to me that we still haven't done a good job of getting coaching to the world. We seem to have done a good job of getting coaching to a certain segment of the world that mostly looks like each other and may or may not be in a certain socioeconomic strata, but not the whole world. What's your view of that? Well, I I think that when we talk about coaching and its evolution, so it's a young field, right? So I try not to be, um, you know, too critical because I believe the field is evolving. And it's like the discussion that, that we're having in our society now about algorithms. So we know that algorithms 
will have bias built into them based on the people who created the algorithms. I don't know if you all heard about this. um, uh, Oh, gosh, what was the credit card company? Goldman Sachs may be issuing this credit card um, where... Uh, it seemed to that women were uh, being disadvantaged and ha- getting lower um, uh, credit limits than men were. And but the, the response of the company was, well, but it's all based on the algorithm. Well, somebody programmed the algorithm. Right. So getting back to, uh, well, coaching hasn't, you know, reached into these other parts of the world. Well, because somebody developed uh, the the way coaching is seen and accepted and then uh, developed 11 competencies and said, well, you, you must coach to these 11 competencies and in this way um, in order to be an ICF certified coach. Now, don't get me wrong and please don't have anybody there saying, Oh, well, you know, are the competencies, you know, not right. There's nothing wrong with the competencies. We're we're handing out pitchforks and torches right now to come and demonstrate (laughs) against you. (laughs) Right. There's nothing wrong with the competencies. And there is a way that these competencies, Uh, When uh, newly minted coaches or coaches who are soon to be newly minted by their coach training programs or organizations, the way people are assessed is if you get out of this lane at all, well, you know, we got to ding you because you've got to coach exactly to the way we think the competencies are to be demonstrated. And when we do that, then what we're doing is we're keeping people in this particular box that says, in order for you to be uh, a, a good ICF coach, this is where you stay. And so to, to one of the earlier comments about um, just kind of the, the value of getting feedback when you're doing um, a speaking engagement or a workshop or anything like that, Uh, My colleague and I, who've been talking about this notion of identity coaching and coaching around identity and and how it actually does fit into um, the ICF competencies, um, particularly the one having to do with communicating effectively. But we we did a a workshop recently um, at the uh, uh, Forum for Workplace Inclusion. And one of the coaches in the workshop got up and said, well, you know, actually in my coach training, I was told that I'm not supposed to bring any aspect of my identity. This was an Asian, young Asian woman, any aspect of my identity into the coaching discussion, that it was actually unethical to do that. Well, why would anybody say that who the coach is and how the coach brings themselves to the coaching partnership um, would be something to hide or something um, not to speak about if they feel it is something that will enhance the, the trust and the intimacy with the client, which is an ICF competency. It's a lot. So where... 
It's a lot. What do you if you could if you could wave your magic wand, what would you have all coaches stop doing or take on today? Let's boil it down cuz I think I think it gets heady really fast. It does get heady and it is complex and I don't want to um, I don't want to back away from that because I think we've got a lot of unpacking to do <laughs> around uh, what is and what is not good coaching. So what I would ask coaches to start doing um, is to really lean into their own authenticity and let go of the image management that I think most coaches bring to the partnership. So by this, I mean, we tell ourselves it's an equal partnership. Right. Right. We're co-equal, right, whatever that means. Right. We're co-creating. And I don't know about you guys, but I know I will often have a client say to me, well, you remember last week when you told me to do so-and-so and and -and so-and-so? I never told the client. Right. You know, right. I worked with the client. We surfaced. You right. know. We may have asked some questions, uh, yeah, but then they. Took right. it, right. But but what did the client hear? The client heard me telling them. And so even though we tell ourselves, oh, it's a partnership of equals. Most clients come to the partnership believing that the coach is the expert. And so for us to pretend there is no power dynamic in the coaching partnership, I think does everybody a disservice. There is a power dynamic. And whether the coach wants to own it or not, we are there and we are acting in a way that I think has a lot of coaches become very fearful if a conversation takes a turn where they feel um, uncomfortable or not quite competent enough to stay on that track with the client. Right. Or, or and, feeling the need to prove something, right? Hey, I'm here for your expertise. I'm ready for it. Give me the expertise, right? Or being fearful about my image. Oh, yeah. If I admit authentically, if I authentically say, you know what? I really don't understand um, what it is to be a gay man in an environment that is so corporate and, 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 and where you are constantly hearing things that make you feel uncomfortable bringing your full self um, to the work you're doing. I don't know what that's like for myself, but I can be with you in this discussion and I can uh, support whatever it is we need to do together so that you're able uh, to do what you need to do for yourself. It, 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 but, but it doesn't do me uh, any service because I hear something or I somehow get triggered to say, oh my God, oh my God, he, he's going down this road. I don't, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> what, what am I, I don't, uh, uh, what, well, let's talk now about executive presence. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying and that that's a concern. And I remember that, you know, one of the goals we started with had to do with executive presence. Can you help me uh, understand how maybe what you're talking about here is tied to that goal. Well, so now I'm shifting focus away from what the client may have legitimately be, been bringing. This is maybe slightly off, you know, the ICF approved set of what questions are okay for us to delve into, uh, but wanting to stay with the client 
in an attempt to deepen the trust and the intimacy and to let the client know that the coaching environment is a supportive environment. And that even though I might not have um, this exact lived experience, uh, that I can be fully conscious and present with this client in this moment so that they can get whatever it is they need uh, in order to continue to do the work. I um, I'm like, I'm, I want to say I'm like really impressed just impressed listening to the answers that you've answered since the beginning of this um, because they're really thought provoking. They have you go deeper. I find myself like, uh, I think one of the coolest places is when we're not agreeing or disagreeing with someone because then more can evolve. And I find myself like being um, like, because of what you're saying and the way you're addressing and answering the questions uh, it's opening up like I'm, I'm just like wanting to ask you 50 more questions to each question, which is so cool. So thank you for that. Um, before we take, I know we're going to take a break in a second. Uh, the thing I wanted to get to really quick is when we're in this situation where we, where we are a coach, let's, you use the power dynamic. And I love that you address that because people don't. Is there a way, aside from just like reminding and telling the client over and over again, is there something that we can do as coaches to address it, shift it? Um, practice with the client so we so we aren't having that hidden dynamic with them? Well, again, I think that goes back to the question you asked about, well, you know, if you could um, uh, encourage coaches to do one thing, you know, it would be to just let go of the image management, to, to somehow find a way with the client to be able to say, you know what, this, this feels really scary for me as I'm listening to you talk about it. Um, I'm finding my own heart beating really, really swiftly as I listen to the experience you're sharing. Uh, I'm not quite sure in this moment um, how to best support you. And I want you to know I am with you. I am with right. you in this experience. And if we can continue uh, to talk about it, in a way that that helps you, uh, I'm there with you. So it's it's a joining. I believe um, it's, there's there's not a statement per se. I believe it's part of how we presence ourselves as coaches. I hear you like really bringing like the humanity into it, like sharing your vulnerabilities, your the the things that you find, like actually opening up and sharing that with the client. Ultimately, like levels the playing field a little bit, puts us on the same on the same floor. Yeah, it's a different, it's a very, uh, it's a kind of different model. It's more of a gestalt coaching model than I think the models uh, and the the way coach training is done um, in the U.S. It kind of trains coaches to say, well, you know, the work's not about you. You know, don't bring yourself into the work. Oh, no, you absolutely don't say anything about your own identity. Um, I, I, I don't believe we're serving our clients well. Uh, when we feel we've got to hold to this image, you know, of what a professionally certified coach or a master certified coach is quote unquote supposed to be. 
It's a it's an interesting point. You know, one of the things that I like about this, and we'll, we're about to take a break, but I want to I want to put make this point. So we we listened to the Davids earlier this week speak at uh, Foundations of Great Coaching, sort of a free masterclass, and they they spoke about advice giving. They said, look, everybody gets trained to not give advice in their coach training program. God bless you for doing coach training or whomever you believe in. Um, and in that coach training, you have to you have to take away people's advice giving tendencies, right? Just right. like just like all the assertions and things have to get clearly labeled, ideally in the coach training process. But then they suggested that you could put them back in. You know, once you've got some some experience, once you've got some um, time under your belt, so to speak, uh, you can then bring in very clearly what you've taken out, the advice giving or the opinions that we have. And and that's kind of what I'm hearing you speak to, is not only bringing it, but bringing it authentically and with some clear identification and humility, right? Like, hey, yeah. I'm experiencing some fear in this conversation, gives the, uh, gives the client, can actually serve the client and give them the space to say, me too, or well, that's weird, or, you know, I was hoping that you wouldn't because I am so scared, or whatever there's... there's (laughs) Right. Um, But if I've got to hold the space of being the expert, right? Right, then we can't um, talk authentically, right? Then how do I move there? Nice. We should point out, uh, some people may be uh, listening and realizing that you have the bearing of uh, an academic, and it's true, you are an adjunct professor in the Human Resources Master's Degree Program for Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. You're also the program director for and curriculum designer of Georgetown's Executive Certificate in Diversity and Inclusion Management within the Institute for Transformational Leadership. You're a coach assessor for Georgetown's Leadership Coaching Certificate Program and a board member of the Association of Coach Training Organizations. So you come by your your expertise and your <laughs> academic bent, honestly. Um, uh, how can people best reach out and find out more about your your work? Is it through ShiftWork? Uh, yes, ShiftWorkLLC.com. Uh, Great. You're also available on... Uh, LinkedIn, is it Sukari Pinnock or Pinnock Fitz? I think it's, it may just be Sukari. <laughs> okay, great. That's S-U-K-A-R-I. A-R-I. Last mm-hmm. name is P-I-N-N-O-C-K or maybe yep. P-I-N-N-O-C-K hyphen F-I-T-T-S. <laughs> Correct. Go check her out. Uh, we're about to take a break. When we come back, more with Sukari Pinnock or Sukari Pinnock Fitz, depending on the day. And <laughs> we'll talk more about identity in coaching. Um uh, you can, in the meantime, go and check out shiftworkllc.com, check out thedreammason.com, or just stay here for these important messages. We'll be back in two. You're listening to The Coaching Show on accomplishmentmedia.com. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. 
Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Welcome back to another edition of The Coaching Show. We're continuing our conversation with Sukari Pinnock-Fitz. Sukari is a board member of the Association of Coach Training Organizations. She's got a, a huge biography with lots of uh, lots of important things. We should point out that she is a PCC-level ICF certified coach. She specializes in cultural competency, leadership, and executive development. She's an organizational development consultant, as well as an adjunct professor in the Human Resources Master's Degree Program for the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies, the program director for and curriculum designer of Georgetown's Executive Certificate in Diversity and Inclusion Management, which is within the Institute for Transformational Leadership. She's also a coach assessor for Georgetown's Leadership Coaching Certificate Program. Um, we're delighted that you're joining us from Arlington, your palatial mansion in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> We've also got Alex Terranova in studio as our co-host. Uh, you can find him at thedreammason.com, and you can find out more about Sukari and the work that uh, she does at Shift Work LLC. That's S-H-I-F-T-W-O-R-K-L-L-C.com. All right. Before the break, we we're talking a lot about how important it is to let go of image management and a little bit about how important it is to recognize that people's identity is a portion of not only the dynamic between coaches, but also really who they are. Uh, let's talk more about social group identity. What are we talking about? Are we just talking about gender and race or is there more to it? Oh, we're talking about age. Uh, we know now in, in workplaces, uh, people are working with uh, four. Some folks are saying to me they've got interns from uh, Generation Z, so they're working with five different generational cohorts uh, in the workplace. We're talking about culture or, or national origin, uh, how I am as the daughter of an immigrant, uh, is going to be different. My experience as a black person in this country is different than people who are raised by two parents who were both raised, uh, born and raised in the United States. Uh, religion is a social group identity. Um, race, uh, ethnicity, uh, color uh, as differentiated from race, um, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, Ability, both mental, physical ability, uh, socioeconomic class, all of these are ways in, in which uh, we, the society puts us into groups uh, around which other people experience us. 
Wow. So that's a lot to a lot to own. And what what's the the major error that people are making these days? I mean, I heard about the the and I loved what you said about image management in terms of coaches. Are there other things that we're not taking into account in in with regard to the coach client relationship? You've talked about the the fallacy of equality or or co-equality or whatever we're calling that. Co-equals, um, yeah. Right. Um are there are there differences that matter more than other differences? Well, I think that's contextual. <laughs> so as I said earlier, you know, when I'm not in the United States, it's my uh, national origin, my nationality that seems to matter most in other countries I vis- visit. It matters more uh, than my racial identity um, and often more than my gender identity. Uh, that I'm a U.S. citizen. Uh, when I'm in the U.S., uh, my experience, again, based on where I am, is that uh, my racial identity is more figural than any other identity uh, except my gender identity. And no matter what identity groups we, we are in, we are usually uh, some of those those groups are what we call dominant groups or in-groups. These are the groups uh, that kind of fit in with the rules and the norms. Uh, people who, are, who hold dominant group memberships inherently have a little bit more access to resources, power, and control uh, in their space. Uh, and they're privileged by the system in some way because the system is built to support who they are. So an example of this would be that when I um, am walking, you know, from the movies uh, with my partner spouse, whose name is Will Fitz, by the way, which is where that Fitz comes in. Um, <laughs> you know, if we're strolling down the, you know, back to our car holding hands, we don't have any fear that somebody's going to, you know, yell out of their window some vile, you know, um, statement mm-hmm. uh, because we are holding hands as a loving couple. Um, however, if my partner uh, were of same sex as, as I am, my the level of fear I might hold, I, I might still, you know, hold my partner's hand, but it would be with some trepidation because the the society um doesn't necessarily support uh same sex loving couples in the same way it does um you know heterosexual couples i i love the conversation because it addresses the bias these unconscious biases that we have and we started like this when you were talking about how the society creates it you're not creating it how do we, in you know, in your opinion, like, how do we address this as coaches, like the unconscious biases that we have, so they're not, you know, getting in our way? Well, I think um, what we have to do is just understand that everybody holds bias. Sometimes I'm biased towards a thing. Sometimes I'm biased against a thing. It's it's not um, it's not a judgment of who we are as people. And if I'm not willing to explore uh, where my biases are, uh, then there's real, I don't have any choice points about what I want to do uh, 
once I recognize I hold this bias. So I would invite people, your listeners here, to really just be thinking about, okay, so if everybody has biases, that must mean I have biases too. How might I uh, get in touch with what those biases are? Uh, hence my recommendation of the Banaji and Greenwald uh, book, um, Blind Spot. Uh, because it's a good way to just kind of start uh, this exploration. And once I get a little bit clearer that I might be holding a bias that I was unaware of, now I have a choice around what I might want to do um, about those biases. Because generally, these biases and this whole group power dynamics thing is about who's in and who's out. And so um, the colleague I'm working with uh, on this, this, this theory, this notion about uh, the importance of identity coaching, uh, Amber Mays and I, are, are, are often, when we're doing workshops, just asking people to identify. So when you think about the in-groups, just take yourself back to when you're in high school. You know, who were the in-groups? People very quickly, you know, will say, oh, they were the jocks, you right. know, and they were the cheerleaders. And, you know, they were the kids from two-parent homes. And, you know, they were the kids who, who dressed the best. And so there, we have, we carry in our minds these notions of who's in and who's out. And so what we knew, know about group dynamics is that there are certain groups that are, are more dominant, more privileged in our society than other groups. And people who are in out groups or marginalized groups are very aware of, their, of being a member of a group. This is, this is something they live with and, and they are, they're very aware of this. And so often... If a member of a, a marginalized group begins to report an experience around that has to do with that group membership, what can happen and what often happens is if I'm talking to somebody who is in a dominant group in that dynamic, right? So if I'm a woman and I'm saying, oh gosh, it happened to me again in the meeting. You know, I made this uh, suggestion. I made it three times, you know, and the boss never heard it until Bill made the same suggestion and it was all of a sudden like he'd never heard it, you know, before in his whole life. So, uh, and this, is, this happens to me and it happens to me. But if I'm talking to a, a man who a long gender, right, would be in the dominant group, uh, he may respond to me at, at an individual level. So he'll talk about his individual level experience. Well, you know, Sukari, you know, I see that happen sometimes, but I got to tell you, my experience in this organization is that women hold all the power and, you know, men are lucky if, you know, we get any of the plum assignments. So he's talking about an individual level experience. I'm reporting a group level experience. And so we're missing each other. We're missing each other. We're not connecting. And I think this is what happens sometimes in the coaching partnerships, because if, I've, if I'm, A, not aware <laughs> that they, there are these uh, group identities, and, I, and then secondly, I'm not aware that there's, there are power dynamics 
in these group identities, then uh, quite often, if I'm talking to somebody whose worldview is very different because of their group identity, uh, and I, my response is more at the individual level, uh, then I'm, I'm likely not going to make contact with them. Yeah, that's two. There are two good questions in there that I want to follow up on. And I want to own that our time is short, so I'll try and be as brief as possible and get Alex in here and, and more time for you. But there are a couple of things you point to. The first is, um, as a man of a certain age and, you know, a white male, as I laughingly identified myself, I'm sort of the natural enemy of a millennial, but I'm also presumed to be something when I walk into a room. Internally, mostly what's happening for me is I'm cons- I'm terrified that I'm going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, And I imagine you've had a lot of these uh, things. We'd love to hear a story, but I'd love to hear even more your experience because you walked into a lot of hallowed halls of power and and um, in in organizations, but also in governments, in union halls, in lots of places, right? So I imagine you've heard some missteps, but I noticed that I'm pretty terrified. And you had talked at the beginning about us getting the fear out of the space and the image management out of it. The other thing that you bring is this whole notion of in-group and out-group. And I think it can be complicated because on the one hand, yes, it could be gender-based, it could be identity-based, but more and more it's also technical knowledge-based. Or, you know, there it might be that Karen just is an ass. Do you know what I mean? And that's why mm-hmm. she's in an out-group. So, um, so how do you, how do you, uh, recommend or how do you train coaches to deal with sort of having enough sensitivity to know is this impacting my client or my or this group because of some sort of inherent bias or is it impacting the group because you know so and so can't seem to manage up so to speak mm. I think it, it kind of starts with um, kind of the coach assessing themselves you know um, what do I know about my group identities? What do I know about my coaches' group identities? Where are my blind spots? Um, what's my worldview? And is it aligned with the worldview uh, of the person I'm coaching? How confident am I in my ability to navigate a conversation around identity? And, and is fear going to keep me from being with my client if my client needs to be with me? Uh, in a way that lets them own their group identity as part of what's happening for them. Uh, once I can assess myself, assess what's true for me, what's for, true for my client, uh, then I really want to lean into uh, the ICF competency that really is about uh, co-creating the relationship around trust and intimacy, because that's where I have to be able to feel comfortable asking the client, um, you know, I'm not quite sure I understand um, why you are so upset about this and I want to understand it and I need you to say a little bit more to me. That would also be useful in my marriage, by the way. (laughs) What's true for you, yeah. (laughs) You've given us like so much to chew on, to think about, to practice to, you know, whether it be as individuals or with our clients, what, do you have any parting words, parting thoughts, uh, things that you would like to leave our listeners with? Uh, Yes, I guess I would want to say that all of this uh, that I've been talking about today came about because uh, another colleague and I, Amber Mays, that I'm working with this concept called the fifth 
domain of coaching. We believe that coaches are pretty much taught, you know, to coach around four basic domains, language and con- cognition being one, the emotional domain, somatic and spiritual. What we don't think coaches are being taught is how to navigate identity, social group identity as part of their their practice. And so we're working on this concept. We call it the flow of the fifth domain. Uh, We've published one paper on it that appears in the the OD journal. Uh, We're working on a couple other papers and starting to put together uh, the learnings from our workshops and some some research we've done with coaches uh, on really how comfortable and confident do people feel coaching in this space. And so uh, uh, the, the thing I would leave with your listeners is we have, if we are going to be serving our clients the way we intend to, uh, we have to take fear out of the equation uh, and we have to be okay with maybe not knowing exactly what the right thing is to say, but being committed to being with our clients in the way the client needs us to be with them. Super important. All right. The way to find out more about uh, Sukari Pinnock Fitz and the great work that they're doing over at Shift Work Consulting is going to shiftworkllc.com. If you want to find out more about the book, Fictional Authenticity, or Alex Terranova's work, check out thedreammason.com. And Sukari, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. This fifth domain, the domain of uh, identity, is so important. And we're all just sort of, it feels like we're walking in a little bit of a fog. Thanks for bringing some guidance, some clarity, and some places for us to look and do our own work as we as we navigate this in our with our clients and in organizations. Um, I appreciate the ability to talk about it today. And thank you. Thank you for the great questions you've asked. Well, you are a, you are a delight and a very uh, knowledgeable on the topic it's great to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and talking about uh no offense alex just kidding <laughs> yeah all right that's another edition of the coaching show anything for you sir anything that you uh want to emphasize or that you're taking away today yeah, I, there's so much i mean i'm gonna i want to go back and like listen to this because i think i asked some questions in the beginning that i really wanted some clarity on and i think i got the, a lot of answers there was just a lot today like there's a lot of powerful things here that we can apply to our life all the time i shared with you Last night I said to somebody, how's your, you know, right. what does your husband do? And they went, my wife. Man, and, like, oh. and, and I went, oh, I messed up. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, there's so, and it's like, look, it's not the end of the world. And there's a place to practice and, and be better and be with humans in a much better and more loving and connected way. Great. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to go get that book, Blind Spot, because I've read uh, the others, but I haven't read that one yet, so I'm going. All right, Sakari, thank you so much for your time, and thank you, dear listener, for tuning in to another edition of The Coaching Show right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine uh, podcasts are available. We will talk to you next week.